God, I ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds, our eyes, uh, to better understand what it means um, that Jesus changes everything. Father, we love you. We pray for this time together that you would be glorified, that you would... Lord, I, I'm, I'm showing up this morning. I'm here. I, I know what I'm supposed to say, I think, and so I pray that you would guide and direct me and shut me up when I need to be shut up. And um, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit in this moment so that whatever comes out today, that we would leave here knowing that we've been in your presence, not because of any person on this stage, but because of a good God who loves his children and wants to be with them. It's in Jesus' incredible name I pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Grab your Bibles. This is going to be an interesting morning when it comes to the preaching time. I'll talk about that in a second. Before I do that, though, um, just thinking through um, the, the songs this morning and, and what we've been singing together, um, really, well, in our study of Colossians, it comes to a conclusion today, but, but the whole book of Colossians has been talking about what we just sang about all morning long, about the freedom we have in Christ, about the fact that, that, that God is for us and no longer against us. I, I, so so, so let, me, let me do this, okay? This is going to be an interesting message, a little different. I'm doing Q&A based on some questions that came in, but I, I want to be careful not to, um, again, I, I say this a lot, but I don't want to assume the gospel. I don't want to assume anybody sitting here is like, oh yeah, you're all Christians, okay, because you're not. How was that for direct this morning? Uh, with a group this size, I, I'm confident there are people sitting here who don't know Jesus Christ. And, and, and I want to make sure that you understand what I mean when I say know Jesus Christ. I don't mean you can quote John 3.16. I don't mean you own your own Bible or you come to church regularly. I don't mean that you threw money in the basket as it passed by this morning. I don't mean that you've been baptized. I mean truly know Jesus Christ. Know the fact that God loved you so much that he looked at you when you were just making a mess of your life over and over again. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, not just to come and model what good behavior is, even though Jesus does show us how to live, but he sent us his son to, to come and, and push you out of the way, to push you out of the way and take your place on the cross. That's what Jesus did. That's who Jesus is. And if you know Jesus, then, then, then the, the, really the answer to this next question is easy. What are you going to do with Jesus? If you know Jesus, it's I'm grabbing onto him and I'm letting everything else go. The greatest gift we have in Jesus is this, and this, this is, was a profound, <laughs> uh, I won't get into details, it was just this moment that I had today, the reality that what, what Jesus has done for us has been great for us, it changes everything for us, but it's more than just been great for us, it hasn't just changed us, it's changed the way God looks at you. Because of Jesus, you are no longer an object of God's wrath, you are now an object of God's love. That's called propitiation. There's a fancy Bible word, so I can sound like I'm smart this morning. It ends there, so don't expect anything else. That's, that's it. It's you have been, because of Jesus being there, standing in your place, it's 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and gave us his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The idea is that Jesus came, pushed you out of the way, took your place on the cross, and he turned God's wrath into God's love for you. You know How? On that cross, he absorbed all of God's wrath. And if you would trust Jesus, then you can sing a song like we just sang, knowing full well that no matter what anybody says, 
no matter what's written about you, no matter what happens in your life, that you belong as a child of the Most High God. That's what we have in Jesus. All right, good. You should clap now. There's not going to be a lot of clapping moments in the message. I've seen it, so let's keep moving. So, <laughs> not that I go for clapping moments. I don't want an email about that this week. I was just kidding. See, the only, I love you guys. You don't email me about crazy stuff. You email me good stuff, which is kind of what this whole message is about, the emails I've gotten in the last two months. So I have gotten, I think I was up to seven or eight questions this week as I prepared for the message. I needed to make some decisions <clears throat> and, and actually skip over some questions and spend more time on others. So this morning, if, if you're bored at any moment, just, just stick with us because it's going to change just a few minutes later because I'm doing three things. One, kind of making a statement. The second one, I'm... Uh, um, Second one's kind of a topical almost message. It's a speed message. I'm going to do it really fast. And then the final question I'm going to answer, I'm going to do something I'm much more comfortable with, which is get you to a text and then unpack it. Um, and then I'm going to hopefully wrap it all up in a way that almost makes sense. We'll see. Um, it's asking a little too much for me. So um, let, let me, let, okay, so those of you that don't know, I said, if you have questions, ask me questions, I'll answer them. Here's the first question that, I got, that I'm going to answer this morning. It says this, so can you clarify your comments about women and the church from last week? No. Okay. <laughs> Next question. You spoke about avoiding this. I'm just kidding. I'll go back and do it, I guess. Just kidding. So um, I actually got a couple of questions like this this week, and they were very encouraging because they came from all kinds of different angles, which was fun. Um, and so I tried to respond to as many of them as I could. If I haven't gotten back to you with some of your questions, I apologize. Tried to respond to as many of these ones in particular as I could. Um, so really, I guess where we need to start is, so what did I say last week? Um, I got home and I looked at my wife and I was like, did I really say women are supposed to be fire breathers? And she said, yeah, you did. So I don't know where the fire breathing part came. It just kind of like got in me and came out. So, so here, let me, I'll read a quote from the podcast because I wanted to make sure I knew what I actually said. I know what I intended to say. See, this is the way preaching works. The guy gets up here and he's like, okay, I know what I want to say. And then he says what he says, and then you think you know what he says, and then when he goes home, he thinks he knows what he says. So, so I wanted to make sure I got it clear. This is sort of what I said, exactly what I said. We need to stop freaking out when a woman is commended and instructed in Scripture to do something besides sit and be quiet. Because every woman is created in the image of God, just like men. Every woman, actually, I, yeah, every woman, there we go, is called to the same ultimate purpose as a man, which is to bring glory to God. Every woman is called to be a fire-breathing gospel messenger. I was in passion. It was okay. Every woman is called to take up her cross and follow Jesus. So, so let me, let me, so I want to clarify. I'm going to sort of clarify, but I'm really not going to. I'm going to just kind of walk through this real quick. Men and women are both sinners. That's a newsflash. Um, both of them, their salvation is based not on anything in and of themselves. It's certainly not based on their sex or their gender. It's based on the atonement of Jesus Christ alone. And the atonement of Jesus then restores the relationship between men and women and God. And that's evident in, in, in both genders, both sexes. And then both, male and female, are sealed and indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And both are given spiritual gifts for the edification of the church. Okay? All Christians are responsible to fulfill the Great Commission. 
All Christians are responsible to share the gospel, to disciple, to serve, to love God, to love others, to participate in the ministry of the local church. And women are not an exception to that. This was kind of the crux of the, the point last week, and I really want to drive home. I mean, when you think about women in Scripture, that I means Jesus had women disciples who sat at his feet and listened and were taught and heard, and were the ones who went to the tomb first. <laughs> Um, Paul instructs the older women to be involved in the lives of the younger women in, in, in the book of uh, Titus. Um, Phoebe is a significant part of the ministry of the church of Sancria. Yodia and Syntyche, they worked with Paul side by side in the gospel. We see them come up in Philippians. They don't come up in a positive light because they're fighting with each other. But he makes it clear that they were his co-laborers in the gospel. In Acts chapter 18, Priscilla and her husband Achilla had a hand in teaching Apollos, who was one of the itinerant preachers and apostles at the time. It says that, they, that, that she had a hand in teaching Apollos the way of God more accurately, because he was up there just kind of, and she fixed it. <laughs> Mark owned that like right away, man. <laughs> so, so what I want to make you understand, women are no exception to the call of God on their lives. Both men and women are used by God for his glory. But the equality in standing, and I kind of just made a little side point at the end, but I'll, I'll make it a little broader and, and, and louder today. That equality in standing before God, that equality in the ultimate purpose in life to bring God glory, doesn't mean that they're interchangeable in every function. Okay, there's a distinction. And so, so even though we as a church would encourage all men, all women to participate in the life and the ministry of the local church and in the local community, the Bible is clear when it reserves the office of pastor and elder for qualified men. Let me be very clear about something. These aren't hierarchical positions where an elder or a pastor is self-serving and gets to sit above and be like, oh, look at me. No, those are positions that are intended on shepherding and serving you. They're supposed to serve you. And it's not a chauvinistic thing because um, elder and pastor isn't for all men. It's for all qualified men. So that limits it as well. So, so as a church, our supreme concern is to be obedient to Scripture. It's to honor the Lord. And it's to provide opportunities for women to grow, to mature, to flourish in their walk with Jesus in the use of the gifts that they've been given. But too often... And this was kind of what drove me last week. Too often as a church, what we've done is we've avoided encouraging women to get out there and be sharing the gospel and to be fire-breathing gospel preachers. <laughs> uh, we've, we've avoided telling them to go disciple. We've avoided them to, uh, telling them to go share the gospel. We've avoided telling them to pray for people, to use their gifts, to serve people, because men are supposed to lead. And so what we've done is we've equated the, the, the call for men to lead with the call for women to just silently drag their feet. Because men aren't really leading then. Women are just doing less than they could, so it makes the men look like they're in leadership. That is not the way ministry will work at Uniontown Bible Church, nor is it the way that you ministry should work in any local church. We should call men and women to, to sacrificially serve their Savior with every ounce of their energy and enthusiasm. Women, go get it. Men, if that bothers you, I said it last week and I'll say it again, get off your keister and do something about it. You clapped because I used the word keister. <laughs> so I just want to be clear about that. We want to encourage our women to use the gifts that they've been given. 
we also understand the Bible is clear. And I got asked this week, it's like, so why are men the only ones allowed to be pastors and elders? And my answer is, I don't know. But it's not my job to know. It's our job just to listen and obey when we see it there. All right? All right. That was, oh, man, my remote died on me. Give me a second. Sorry. I talked too long. Nobody should say that. Next one. You spoke about avoiding the cynical, especially on social media. Most of social media is cynical, so is there an appropriate use of social media for the Christian? I will start out by saying, you sound cynical asking that question. <laughs> um, just wanted to point that out. That was a little, uh, I don't know, just, just ignore <laughs> um, so that's actually a great question. Let me, let me answer it this way. This one, I'm going to kind of do a topical explosion and throw a bunch of verses up there in front of you and, and try to help give you, I guess we'll call it a theology of social media real quick here, okay? So let me start with this. Every single believer in Jesus Christ is called to do all to the glory of God. Everything we do, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatsoever you do, you do it to the glory of God. So how do we do that with social media? Let's walk through these verses. John 13, 34, 35. Jesus says this, I give you a new command. You love one another. Just as I have loved you, you're to love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. You think Jesus is trying to get a point across there? He repeats himself a few times to his disciples, doesn't he? Maybe we should listen. What's he saying? He's saying our love for one another will translate into the world around us and they will understand that, that there is something different about us. So how are you loving one another when it comes to social media? Romans 12 verse 10, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters and outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. Make it a contest. How much honor can you show to somebody else? Outdo each other. Show each other up in showing honor. Assign a high value to each other as God would have us to do. How are you honoring people with your use of social media? Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Particularly that last phrase. In your use of social media, how are you keeping the unity among brothers and sisters? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be any of you... Um, but that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. I'll just jump out for a second. I love that phrase, while it's still called today. Because you give me one day that's not called today. Guess what? There is no day off when it comes to this. There's no day off when it comes to your responsibility to encourage and challenge and urge each other so that no one gets to the place where they fall into that, that sin so, so urge each other to do this. So how are you doing that with your use of social media? Um, what, <laughs> uh, I'll just say this. We must be, I'll just read it right here. We must be faithful to fully obey all of what God has commanded. That includes in social networking. <laughs> Doesn't mean we can do part of it. You know, I really like that exhorting part. I'll fulfill that role. I'll count on my other brothers and sisters to fulfill the encouraging and loving part. I'll just be the one who calls out everybody's wrongs. Yeah, we don't need you on the team. 
That, that's not uh, uh, acceptable in God's eyes. God's very clear here that you're supposed to fulfill all of his commands. So, so I'll tell you this, networking, networking itself, remove the social media part of it, but social, the, the networking part, relationships, that's a vital part of anybody's Christian walk. And, and, and social networking, whether it be Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or Twitter or whatever it might be, social media can add to the value of that Christian walk if just used as a tool. The problem is, in our culture and community today, too many of us are trying to use social networking and social media to accomplish the things that we have been called to do face-to-face. Social networking and the resulting, it's a virtual community, can never and will never take the place of real community. And, and I will confess right now, I was dead wrong. You are in clappy mood this morning, so praise Jesus. Um, <laughs> so so we, we need to be careful about that. I, wanna, I guess I'll close this question section off here with, with these, these verses. So, so in, in Hebrews chapter 10, it's this really beautiful passage. Starting in verse 19, he says, you know, brothers and sisters, we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Christ. I mean, imagine that for a moment. I mean, this is, it doesn't matter what, what we're talking about. Whenever we get an opportunity to, to talk about what we have in Jesus, we should stop and reflect on it, right? And so here he's saying, okay, listen, remember, we have boldness. We can come into God's presence because of Jesus' finished work for us. Verse 21, and since we have this great high priest who is over the house of God, so since Jesus is there mediating for us, interceding for us, being there on our behalf, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So, so let's go face first to the throne of God. Let's run to Jesus in, 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 with, with, he's in his busyness, in his activity, and count on him to do what he said he would do for us. Let's go with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering because he who has promised is faithful. I mean, so he's painting the picture of who Jesus is and what he's doing for us before the very throne of God. And then he says this, and let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see that day approaching. This is a face-to-face assignment. He says, don't avoid the assembling, don't avoid the gathering, the meeting. That would be this, in fact, would be a part of that. Don't avoid this, man. We need to meet and encourage, and especially as time goes on and we start getting weary towards the end. We need this face-to-face relationship. We need this encouragement that happens within this room and outside this room. And I'm going to tell you now, it can't just depend on Sunday morning. If you think Sunday morning's enough for you, I'm going to tell you, you are wrong it has to be way more than this. If you, if you have not understood the fact that everything outside of this building is virtu- virtually everything outside this building is darkness that continues to press against your soul and it's trying to overthrow you and, and Satan, and, and he's got an incredible way of reminding us of our failures. He's got an incredible way of, of pointing out the areas of our life where, where we're weak and reminding us of how terrible we are and if we continue to listen to him and he becomes the loudest voice, then, then we're setting ourselves up for failure. This isn't just a Sunday morning exercise. Okay, so I'll call it a spade a spade. Uniontown Bible Church. Our, this isn't our slogan, I promise. Uniontown Bible Church. We stink at community groups. 
And put that on your business card and hand it out, see how that goes. We've tried a number of different things and we can never seem to, to shake the branches enough to get, figure out how in the world can we do community groups to encourage the hearts and the souls of people during the week because everybody's so busy. So how do we do that? Well, we, we're, we're coming up with some different ways. We, we've, we've been working for about, I don't know, probably a year trying to understand some different models. We have a great model. Now we need people. We need hosts. We need people to lead these things. And, and so what's going to happen is this. You are going to be lovingly encouraged, I'll step over here and say this, you're going to be assaulted, okay? Um, you're going to be lovingly encouraged about what your part in community groups could be. Pastor Mark is, uh, Andrews is going to be spending some time talking to a number of people, uh, explaining what our view, our vision for this area is, and so that, that's a wonderful opportunity, so we'll be working on that throughout the summer, and then we'll, we're not going to do a big, huge launch per se, but we're going to make those opportunities available to you, and we're going to surround you with people who love and have been involved in community groups. We have some community groups, and this is the crazy part, we actually have almost 20 community groups that meet on a regular basis from our church. It's just I think sometimes we're not aware of them, and so we just assume they're not happening. And so we want to use these to come alongside you and do exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying. Let's get into each other's lives. Let's gather together. Let's encourage each other all the more as that day continues to draw near for us. Um, I'm a part of a Thursday morning, I don't know what time you would say that is, <laughs> the crack of dawn men's Bible study. We get together at Plum Diner, Plum Crazy. We are the, one of the first ones to walk in there. Right now, there's, there's, sometimes there's six of us. We have a tendency occasionally to forget it's actually Thursday morning, and so we wake up around and then do our business during the day, and around 10 or 11, we'll text each other and go, oh, it's Thursday. I forgot I was supposed to be there. This group of men have become a huge encouragement in my life. This past Thursday. I'm not going to share specifics because that would be wrong. It's a group of guys who I have, um, they have earned their respect in my eyes. I respect them a great deal. This past Thursday, as we sat there and shared prayer requests with each other, it was as real as it gets. And what it did for me when I came back to the office is it charged me up. You know why? Because they encouraged me. No Facebook post will ever do that. This is a face-to-face assignment. So how should I use social media? I'll close out with this. Your communication either seeks to enhance the reputation of God or it seeks to enhance your own reputation. So go back and look at your last Facebook post and figure out who it is you're trying to highlight. Man, you use social media to communicate, use it to encourage people, use it to speak words of life. There is this pastor in Florida who every morning he wakes up and on Twitter he just says, good morning, may God be with you today. That's his like, that's like the only tweet he sends all day long. But it's, it's real, it's like, you know what, God is with me today. So use it to encourage people, use it to make much of Jesus, use it to glorify God. And if you can't do that with your social media, then what should you do? Well, in the words of Jesus, cut it off. Do you have a right hand that continues to offend you? Chop it off. You have a left hand. How about a right foot? You have an eye that continues to then pluck it out. So if this continues to be something in your life that you can't control or that is a, uh, a constant source of cynicism in your life, then I would encourage you to cut it off. All right? Now for the one that I'm most excited about. So what about singles? 
Huh? And what I just found hilarious, that, that little child just say, uh-oh, when I said that? I, I thought I heard that. So this is the one I'm most excited about, and the baby's like, uh-oh, I heard it. <laughs> um, so in chapter 3, verse 18 of Colossians, it started off a little series, and we did one message, and we talked about how, we said, okay, well, wives, submit to your husbands, husbands, love your wives, and I went through the whole family thing, and I got a number of questions, like, that's awesome, so, so what about singles? You don't talk about singles, Frank, you just talk about married people. Well, in my defense, that's all Paul was talking about in that moment, okay? However, today, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is where I'm going to get you to take your Bible out, and this is where I'm way more comfortable. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul is talking to this church at Corinth. I'm going to try to give you a little context here. It's a little, it's pretty broad, actually. But, um, and this church at Corinth, quite honestly, has lost its mind. That's, that's kind of the easy way to say it. Well, they've sent a letter, evidently, to Paul, and they've asked him a number of questions. And so here in chapter 7, what we, we come to is, is Paul is beginning to answer some of the questions that the Corinthian church has asked him. So the question that they asked actually has to do with the sexual relationship in marriage. And, and, and they ask him, so it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And actually, that was one of the most misquoted verses in all of Scripture when I was in Bible college. Because it sounds it's like, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. So boys, mind your manners. Good principle, wrong verse, but good principle. Um, what Paul does is he then walks through and says, okay, the sexual relationship in marriage is, is a beautiful one. It's a, it's a right one. It's a responsible one. And here's the reasons where you wouldn't engage in that relationship. And here's the reasons you would. And remember that this is how this works. And then he talks to the unmarried starting in verse 8. And actually, it's very interesting that starting there, the whole chapter just turns to talk about the marriage status of some of these people in the Corinthian church. The fact that being unmarried isn't a terrible thing. Um, as he's working through the context of singles within the church there at Corinth, he gets to this section starting in verse 17, and in the middle of that chapter there, verses, uh, it starts in verse 17 and it goes to verse 24. What Paul does is he uses a pretty lengthy illustration to try to drive home the points he's making about singleness within the church. And, and I, I, that's what I want to look at together this morning. So, so looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I'll start reading in verse 17. Paul says this to the Corinthians, Let each one live his life in the situation that the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I'm commanding in all the churches. So was anyone already circumcised when he was called? Well, then he shouldn't undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He shouldn't get circumcised. Circumcision doesn't matter, and uncircumcision doesn't matter, but keeping God's commandments is what matters. Okay, let me give you a little background and try to be as careful as I can. Again, if you have questions, Pastor Mark, you can ask him about these. But um, in the Corinthian society and in the culture, um, circumcision was a type of social stigma for the people who lived there, whether they were Jewish or Gentile. It didn't matter. It was a stigma. So, so let me explain what that means. So as, as, as a Gentile, they would look at the Jewish people who lived in Corinth and who had been circumcised, and they would look at them as being unenlightened, uneducated, foolish people. 
I mean, think about it from, from an educated and academic perspective. Why would you, as a people, submit yourself to this um, medical procedure and then uh, join yourself with a system that leads to nothing but hatred and scorn and persecution? Why would you do that? And so, so the Gentile believers would look at the Jewish believers like, what are you, you guys are just foolish. And many of the Jewish believers would look at themselves and, and view the, the fact that they were a circumcised believer, and they would view that as uh, an embarrassment. Now, on the flip side, many Jews would look at Gentiles who didn't go through the same physical process, and they would see them and think, you know, no, no, you're a second-rate Christian. You're not quite all the way there, so you're just a, you didn't follow all of the law, so you're only a second-rate Christian, and so many Gentiles would view themselves and their uncircumcision as a potential disobedience to the law and just kind of wonder where they fit in all these things. And so, so you have these, these social stigmas that are occurring within the church between Jews and Gentiles, and they're having all of these conversations and, and discussions, and, and when the social stigma gets really heavy and it becomes really um, thick with peer pressure, there, there became a, a movement in the church at Corinth for the Gentile believers to go and be circumcised, to remove that social stigma. And as shocking as this is, it also led many Jewish believers to go through a process that was being developed in Corinth of uncircumcision. Okay, regardless of of details, okay, both of those were acting upon the pressure that's being exerted upon them from outside sources. Not by God, not by the Holy Spirit, but by by the social pressures that are surrounding them. So Paul's command to them here, and he's he's saying, listen, knock it off. Circumcision, it doesn't matter. Uncircumcision, doesn't matter. But but the keeping of God's commands, that's what matters. You're focused on the wrong thing. So some practical applications and taking this illustration and applying it into the lives of our singles is, is actually very important. Paul, Paul says, any social expectations that are surrounding you, stop it. Don't allow that to be the loudest voice in your head. So let me, let me share this with you. Are there any social expectations being placed upon our singles within our church today? Absolutely. Both sides. But let's look at it from this side. Does our church ever place pressure upon our singles to to get married earlier rather than later? Yes. We do. You know who else does? Christian colleges. You you want proof? I just encourage any of you to show up on a Christian college campus in the month of March. Meet a senior who's not engaged yet. And it's like, ah! There's no hope for me. I'm going to be a spinster forever. It's crazy. There's a social pressure that's being placed upon them. There's a social pressure that is subtly placed upon our singles within the church when you walk up to one of our singles and say, so, why aren't you married yet? You got any, anybody on the line? Can I introduce you to somebody? What, what you're doing is, and you have great intentions, I believe that, but the underlying message of that is, hey, seeing's being that you're not quite complete yet, let me fill in the gap for you. And Paul says, knock it off. The social pressure, the social expectations that surround you, they don't matter. The marital state that you're in, no matter what anybody says, is, understand how I say this, merely coincidental when it comes to your standing in Jesus Christ. 
You can be a single believer, you can be a married believer. The idea is this, your primary identity is not your marital status, it's if you're in Jesus or not. And so, so this is what Paul says, he's like, listen, 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 stop, care not for it, it doesn't matter. Let's continue, look at verse 20, let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. So then he goes to this other side of the illustration, were you called while being a slave? Don't let it concern you. Now, if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. But he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called as a freeman is Jesus Christ's slave. So, so not only is Paul saying, okay, forget about all these social pressures that surround you. Forget about those social expectations. But forget about the limitations that you have perceived in yourself as a single adult. Forget about these perceived limitations. So the background again for you. Corinth, where the, the, church, the Corinthian church was is on this little isthmus, and it's become a real, <clears throat> had become a very popular um, port, so, so many people would be traveling through, and the goods that they would be carrying would travel through the, the city of Corinth, and, and as a result, slavery and slave trading became a huge deal in Corinth. So at the writing of Corinthians, at the time that Paul wrote the book of Corinthians, it's estimated that a third of the population at Corinth were slaves. And another third, at one point, had been slaves. So, so he knows his audience when he uses this. And he, and he says to them, okay, the, the, don't look at the state that you're in. Don't look at the slavery. Don't, don't complain that you're being limited in your service to Christ. No, I'm a slave, and if I was only free, then I could do all these great things for Jesus. But I'm a slave, so I really can't do anything. I mean, if I was able to get out of slavery, then I could be free. Now, now it's interesting. Paul does say to them, so, so you're a slave, and, 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 I'm, and the frank version, were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. The frank version is, were you called while a slave? So what? Were you called by Jesus? That's the thing that matters. It doesn't matter where you were. It doesn't matter what station in life you had. It doesn't matter who you were working for. It doesn't matter how bad your life was. Were you called in Jesus? That's what matters. So stop complaining about this limitation that's been placed on you. Now, Paul does say, if you have an opportunity to become free, well, then use it. So, so right there, what Paul says is there's no hierarchy of spirituality. Those who suffer more aren't more spiritual than those who don't. I would apply it even further. Those who are single aren't, by nature, more spiritual than those who are married. And vice versa, those who are married aren't more spiritual than those who are single. Paul doesn't say, hey, listen, don't change. Whatever you do, you just stay right. Don't, don't ever take. If you have, if he says, rather, if you have the opportunity, then by all means, take advantage of it. Whatever. If you want, take advantage of it. It doesn't matter because that's not the most important identifying factor in your life. It's if you're in Jesus. So, so the practical applications are, are pretty simple. Singleness, a limitation to people serving Jesus. The answer is nope. Um, singles are a really important part of our church body. As, as um, leaders, as marrieds, we need to let them into our circles of service. We understand that they have an opportunity to do some things for Jesus in a way we marrieds couldn't. And, and we say this, and actually we usually use this as an insult to those who are single. Like, man, you complain about your schedule. Man, if you were married and had kids like me, then you would understand what a schedule is like. Like, okay, but, but in reality, let's take the positive of that. There is some freedom in a life, the life of a single person that a married person doesn't have. 
Uh, it happens all the time when a bunch of, uh, the whole crew's hanging out. They all went to college together. They all been friends forever. You know, we're always going to hang out. We're always going to hang out. And then two of them get married. And then over time, they slowly drift apart. And the other guys, singles are like, what's up? How come you don't hang with us anymore? And they're like, well, we have real life things. Not that yours aren't real life, but, but I have to pay attention to my wife, and she has to pay attention to me. We can't spend all of our extra time paying attention to you, so we've got to try to figure this all out. And then some of the singles get a little angry, and yeah, um, it's tragic. Um, I'm gonna <laughs> um, this is being spoken by a guy who served as a single adult pastor for 10 years, so I, I recognize the, the struggles there. But let me, let me drive this home instead. Um, so let's say... I gotta be careful how I say this because it can be, well, you, you understand. It's an illustration. If your arm falls off, I mean, certainly go to the doctor by all means, but, but, but if your arm falls off, it's no longer connected to your body, what happens to that arm? It dies, it shrivels up and dies. So, so, so what happens to your body? It's handicapped. It has a physical limitation now. It's not able to do as easily the things it was able to do before once that arm fell off. And so is true with how we treat our single adults within our local church. Our single adults aren't involved in the ministry here at our local church, and they're like that arm that's not connected to the body. And it's only going to lead to bad things for them. They're going to shrivel up I'm going to die. But we need to understand that without that arm attached, we're hurting too. So as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to take, make every effort to include our single adults in our lives, in our Bible studies, in our community groups. Wherever you serve, evaluate it. Do you have singles there? Then reach out to some of our singles and Encourage them to join your, your group, your ministry, your community group, your Bible study. The body will be healthier because of it. He ends this section in 1 Corinthians 7 by just reminding them of what matters most. Verse 23, you were bought with a price. So don't become slaves of people. You were bought with a price. So so to our single adults, let me encourage you, forget about the social expectations, forget about the perception of limitations in your life, and remember who bought you, because that matters far more than any marital status. It's with the precious blood of Jesus Christ you were redeemed, not with silver, not with gold. That's what 1 Peter chapter 1 says. So, so, so allow yourself to be reminded of what it is you have in Jesus. So, so no matter where we, what we do, wherever, where we are, no matter where we find ourselves, our immediate situation doesn't make a difference. God has purchased us, so we're to be serving God wherever we are. Jew or Gentile? Doesn't matter. Slave or free? Doesn't matter. Male or female, doesn't matter. Face-to-face -face or on social media, doesn't matter. Single or married, it doesn't matter. 
wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you are to glorify God there because you are his. See, that's the whole message of the book of Colossians, isn't it? The whole message of the book of Colossians is is you are no longer lost in the darkness because Jesus has rescued you you from the darkness. Jesus has has thrust you, he has transferred you into the kingdom of his son. The message of Colossians is in Jesus Christ, you have redemption, you have the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus Christ, you have what is called the hope of glory. The very fact that you can stand before God with full acceptance, not fear, because you've experienced the very perfect love of Jesus Christ, and that perfect love casts out fear. You were dead, but Jesus made you alive. Jesus erased all of your debts, and he nailed them to his cross. Everything has changed for us because we are his. We had a discussion on Monday night in our elders meeting, and it was, it was a great discussion. But, but, but one of the things that kept coming up is, if we would really understand what our identity is in Jesus Christ, if you would really understand that in Jesus Christ, God's countenance for you went from this to this, it would change everything. It would change how you live. It would change how you think. It would change, and I mean this with my whole heart, how you sleep. Because in Jesus Christ, you've been accepted. Everything has changed for us. And that's all because of the cross. It's all because of the cross. May we never forget what it is that Jesus Christ did for us. And may it change everything. I'm excited to start Book of Proverbs with you next week. Looking forward to it. Let's pray. Father, thanks uh, so much for your word. Thank you for Colossians. Thank you for what it's done in my own heart. Thank you for the way that it has thrashed me in the right ways. Thank you for the way that it has challenged me. Lord, I ask that even right now, as as we're closing our service, that the one who's sitting here who doesn't know Christ, Father, that they would confess with their mouth what their life has demonstrated over and over again, that they're a sinner and they need a Savior. God, would they fall on their faces and call out to the gracious God who has provided for them a, a substitute in Jesus. Lord, I pray that they would look to the cross and understand that it was there as Jesus shed his blood that the possibility of their sins being forgiven was given to them. May they cry out with their mouths and ask Jesus to be their savior. Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that we would wrestle with this and understand what our true identity is. God, I pray it would change the way we look at you, that we would change the way we serve you, and Father, that we would change the way that we rest in you. God, I'm thankful that in Jesus Christ, we're fully accepted and forever forgiven. It's in his good name I pray.